Hello, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. Every other week, the Electric City Culture Cast takes you inside Peterborough's arts, culture, and heritage scene, simply one of the most vibrant anywhere in the province. Our magazine format features interviews with rising stars and emerging artists. We take you behind the scenes at a wide range of arts and culture organizations in the downtown community and on the Trent campus. We delve into the issues that people are talking about, bring you up to date on the latest news, reviews and happenings, and provide you with information and advice on what to see and how to advance your own arts practice. We broadcast every other week on Trent Radio and all of our shows will be available as podcasts. This week on the Electric City Culture Cast, we're continuing on with our winter series, I Am an Artist. And some of you will remember that we've been interviewing local artists on several of our broadcasts. Our last couple included Anne White and Rob Fortin, both really interesting theatre artists, two completely different generations, and people who do very different kinds of theatre work. And today, I'm delighted to have here in the studio with us Alicia Rubacha and Lester Alfonso. Um, two, I'm going to embarrass Lester and say two different generations of artists <laughs> who work in very different disciplines, but both of them have embraced Peterborough as a place to live and make their work. And we are so lucky to have them here in Peterborough and to have them in the studio today. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Lester is uh, leaning over to the mic here. Hi there. Um, before we launch into a discussion with Lester and Alicia, I wanted to remind everybody that this is Black History Month, the whole month of February. Um, this is the very first year that Peterborough has acknowledged Black History Month and declared it officially as a citywide event, although it's been around for a long time. And it's been a great month to get to know better some of the fantastic artists that come from an Afro-Canadian heritage living here in the city. Um, there's still quite a few events to come up, and if you want to get a calendar look at what's happening, please go to the EC3 website or to the Black Lives Matter or the Peterborough Race Relations Committee websites and check out some fabulous events, including the Peterborough Singers Soul 2 concert on February 23rd. Um, there's lots of great things happening. Don't miss them. I also want to say thanks to Mauricio Internacio um, and Trent Radio 92.7 FM um, for being our host today. Um, and I should be responsible for full disclosure, both Mauricio and Alicia are members of the EC3 board and we're really grateful for all the work they contribute to making the Arts Council a success. I'm going to just skip down a little bit to, to your bios because I'm not, you know, to me, because I'm really old now, you're a younger artist, but you have really impressive resumes already. Um, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit, I'm going to start with Alicia, about how you started out in poetry and publishing and a little bit about your practice. Sure. So I've been doing, I've been involved in self-publishing forever, <laughs> for pretty much my whole life. Um, I made zines as a kid, which is something I'll be talking about actually right now when this plays on air on Wednesday. I'll be at Artspace talking about uh, my publishing practice as Bird Buried Press. I'm also a poet. I've been writing poetry since about university when I went to Trent. Um, and I started kind of entering the publishing world in about 2015, actually submitting work and getting published. 
by other people. <laughs> and Alicia, I know you've had some good news the last couple of weeks. I have had some good news. I just received two OAC recommender grants, which is really exciting. And that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Can you explain to the audience what that means? Oh, so sure. Recommender grants, basically how they work is that OAC shells out the money, but publishers get to decide who gets the money. So it's a really great way of kind of connecting writers to publishers before they even get to the point of submitting manuscripts. So ideally, uh, my two... Uh, is it Cheezine or Chizine? I never know. I think it's Cheezine. Cheezine Publications and Coach House both have me on their radar, which is pretty cool now. Uh, those are my two recommenders. Those, that's very impressive. Congratulations Thank again. You, it's a great way for the Provincial Arts Council to keep some kind of grassroots feeding and yeah. um, pouring money into the grassroots so that not just those juries make the decisions, but the people exactly. who actually produce work get mm -hmm. to look at it. And does that give you time to research and finish writing? It does, yeah. It gives me, it pays for a couple of months of life even, which is great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. And Lester... I'm old-fashioned, so I still think there's a difference between filmmaking and video art. And one of the things I think is that is impressive about your practice is that you do both. I do. I mean, also my filmmaking is almost like video art as well because it kind of goes into the realm of experimental. Um, documentaries become self-reflexive and uh, really meta in the way it kind of is presented. And you've done work for the National Film Board? Yeah, National Film Board. I have a, tw a film called 12, and you can look at the NFB website and look at uh, the title is the number 12 spelled out, so 12. Yeah, and um, I'm also, in terms of the video art, I've just recently done with The Art of Time in Toronto and the Ralston String Quartet, I did a live video mix to George Crumb's Black Angels. Um, and we're going to be remounting that performance February 4th, 2020. So that's like, uh, wow, I've never planned that far ahead, but they is, asked me to do it again. Is that good or is it scary? It's scary. <laughs> it, they asked me to do it again. And uh, how do you improve upon something that you did so well like uh, before? And so it's because it's live, it's never the same twice. So... Um, and you always kind of compare yourself to what you did last time. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to repeat myself. So that's the challenge. So where will that take place? That's going to be at the Kensington, uh, Mar uh, Kensington Market Theatre. In uh, Toronto? In Toronto. Well, we'll have to keep people up to speed on when that happens. Um, I also want to tell the audience that Lester is a incredible creator, director, filmmaker, but he's also a really accomplished editor, which is no small feat, and he's one of two or three people in the country that I can recognize his editorial style really clearly. I always know when Lester's had a hand in a film because it steps up to that other level um, where it just isn't the content that's great, but the shape and the form and how the piece is put together is always fantastic. That's so very kind of you to say that, Sue. You know, most people don't even know what editing is. Most people know don't even know uh, what goes behind the scenes and editing, in my opinion, and lots of other filmmakers' opinions, including Orson Welles and Podovkin, <laughs> a great Russian master. Editing is cinema. Without editing... You can take out anything from cinema. You can take out a director. You can take out a producer. You can take out the actors. But you can't take out the editing, even oh. if it's like a one reel. And the fact that the Oscars recently decided to not show the editing award and put a commercial on top of it, and so now there's a backlash, but now they're going to put that back on. They're going to announce 
the best editor. Oh, that's such great news. I always know Martin Scorsese always says, I didn't make the film. Thelma did. I can't remember what her Thelma Shoemaker. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Um, Lester also creates a lot of podcasts. He takes 35-millimeter photographs. And this year at Artspace uh, in 2018, he did an extraordinary projection project um, across the gorgeous new windows at the newly renovated Peterborough Public Library on Elmer Street. I'm just wondering if you can tell people a little bit about that project because it was something slightly different for you. Yeah, Imaginarium was a large-scale video projection mapping project that utilizes three projectors synced up so that it stitches one image across 16 windows of the library, uh, the second floor of the library. So seen from the outside, it looks like the windows are basically you're looking into an aquarium but in my in my imagination it was an imaginarium it was because the library kind of houses imagination and all those books so I kind of conceived what would it be like if imagination was caged in this uh, library and then people would gather in front and it, it'd be forced to perform and what would what would imagination do to perform well it will knock our socks off it'll it'll awe, it'll give us awe-inspiring images so that's what i that was the inspiration well it did knock our socks off and i think there were um we could only show it for three nights because we took up so much space at the library to show it but with live music outside and um i sat there for most of the evenings and there were over a hundred people every night and it was quite cool some of those nights standing outside in the LLF parking lot looking across the street to, to the library. There were uh, kids who were fascinated, and uh, I just wish we could remount it. Like, I'm going to ask you right now, live, uh, remount it, because in the summer, when it's, like, a warmer, a lot more people will, I think, be attracted to uh, just hanging out outside the library and uh, be inspired. Well, we're going to work on that. We're, th we're thinking about changing Arts Week to the spring so that the... Um, the nighttime events don't have to happen right at supper time. <laughs> oh, Canada, I love trying to do art here. Um, Alicia, you mentioned that you started writing really, really early in your life and, and in your career. I'm going to ask you the, the tough question. Do, uh -oh. you, do you remember a project or a time in your life where you said to yourself, okay, I'm an artist? Oh, boy. I think I've kind of always felt that way. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really remember a time where I didn't think of myself as a writer. Um, I think, as I said, I started publishing in 2015, so that's kind of when I started to feel like a professional writer. Okay. Um, but before, that, I've, uh, that was always kind of my core identity ever since I can remember. So did you start with poetry? No, I think I started with fiction. Um, that was kind of my main form for a really long time. Poetry I didn't get into until later. I did dabble in it a bit in high school, I'll admit, but I was really bad at it, and I was aware that I was really bad at it at the time. And then later in university, I just kind of started doing it by accident. And then that was actually how Justin Million and I met, was because he found one of my zines, the Linen Thread zines. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the rest is history from there. <laughs> so what did you study at Trent? I studied, I started out in philosophy, mm -hmm. um, but then I kind of started to feel like literature but I did a better job of philosophy than philosophy did because mm -hmm. um, it's very obscure and opaque to a lot of people. And I, So I just felt like books were doing such a better, and art were doing such a better job. Um, so I switched to English literature. And then I also did a little bit, little bit of linguistics as well. Oh, fantastic. So tell me about the zine in university. It was called the Linen Project? Um, no, the Linen Thread, and it was just thread. after university, just Okay. After I had graduated, uh, I think I started. I did some of the writing while I was still in university, but the actual project didn't come out until the year after that. 
It was kind of a study about time. This is where the philosophy comes in a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a determinist. This is getting to like be weirdly philosophical, but I'm a determinist. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was kind of exploring that idea and just tying in kind of bits of my life at the time because um, that's sort of my MO. I am a biographical poet in a lot of ways. So a determinism in the sense that... And that all of time is fixed, that we've already kind of done everything. Um, not to say that like we've done and like all of art is over. And not, I don't mean that at all. Um, I just mean... Not the end of history. I'm, I'm a big Slaughterhouse-Five fan. If okay. there are any Kurt Vonnegut fans out there, that kind of really shaped how I see the world. I've read that book. It's probably the book I've read the most times. And it has really made a big impact on me. So it goes. <laughs> so your art practice has always had a publishing, a self-publishing aspect to it? Yeah. One of my first projects was a fictional newspaper that I wrote when I was a little kid that had a distribution of about one person in my neighborhood who would pay me a toonie for it. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Murray. <laughs> um, and then that kind of escalated to me doing zines on a regular basis. I wrote one for a long time called High School Dropout when I was actually a high school dropout. That's a little known fact about me. And then, yeah, I had I had several, though. I had one called Pseudo that I wrote for a long time that you can probably still track down some really bad broken re broken pencil reviews of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was kind of a natural progression for me to go from zines and self-publishing to being a publisher of other people's work as a small press publisher through Bird Buried. So Bird Buried publishes other people's work? Yeah, so generally how things work is that we get submissions from anywhere in Ontario. Actually, it's it's people from or living in Ontario, so sometimes we get ones from outside of Ontario. And then we go through those submissions, Justin and I, and he does the poetry, I do everything else. And essentially, we pick what we like, and then we go ahead and print it. And I take a lot of care in making sure that the form matches the content. That's mm -hmm. really important to me in my production. And how many publications has Birdberry done? I think we're almost, or we're around 20. I haven't counted recently, it's but fabulous. there's something like that, yeah. And where could I get one? Oh, well, <laughs> so you just happened to ask that, huh, Stu? Uh, there will be Book and Zine Fest, um, which this year isn't happening at Artspace. It's happening at the library in the community room, I think. Okay. Um, and that's Saturday through from 10 to 5, I believe. February 23rd. February 23rd, yeah. Mm -hmm. At the Peterborough Public Library, pretty much mm -hmm. across the road from Artspace. Basically, yep. just up the road a little bit. So that'll be a chance to see things from Bird Buried Press, but also yeah. lots of other independent publications, um, both books, um, also, often also notebooks and other paper products. Yep, there's scenes. a woman who produces some great notebooks there. She's yeah, generally there. It's always a, a really great event to take in, really great vibe and, and, yeah. and really interesting things that you wouldn't get anywhere else. For sure. Yep. Um, I'm going to come back to you in a second, sure. Alicia, but I'm going to ask Lester something about the relationship between um, your training and your current practice, if there is one, because I know you went to York and studied film. Current practice, well, I, I had a professor that was, well, I had a couple, I had a few professors that changed my life, but certainly one that uh, showed me this film called Sans Soleil, and that Chris, rocked Chris Marker. Chris Marker, Sans right. Soleil from the 1980, and it, it, it rocked my world because I had grown up really not seeing experimental films uh, and seeing Hollywood films, and this was the first film that I I. I saw that was constructed in a way that I, I hadn't seen before. It was personal. It, it it was also very tactile, very personal. And I I just 
fell in love with that style. And in a way, I kind of take my training, in term, if you want to call it training, like Hollywood way of making a movie, into a more of experimental. So even with Imaginarium, for example, there's a narrative you could follow in that. Because my training... In, so I, I kind of infuse video art with my training and narrative structure. So mm-hmm. that's how it kind of coalesces together. And so when you when you look at something that's like Imaginarium, which is 10 minutes, 11 minutes long, and there's no real story, but somehow you follow it and there is a story because I adhere to the hero's journey even in that little video piece. So at the end, that little character, which is the imagination character, changes. So there's that, I think is essential with almost everything that there's a transformation at the end. So that's, I think that's how I bring the, that type of training into video art. Um, but a lot of it is self-taught because, you know, a lot of, a lot of my training, for example, uh, you know, it's only valid for a year or two because the technology changes and everything it's true. changes. It's true. It's really distinct part of your medium, isn't it? Yeah. And so uh, for me, getting into video mapping projection projects, uh, it's just like I'm constantly upping my game and trying to uh, keep up with everything that's changing. Um, And that's a bit of a challenge because right now, for example, everybody watches movies on your smartphone. And uh, um, the theatrical thing is kind of, um, you know, I I just, I struggle with that, you know? Like, I, I prefer to make a film in a darkened theater where people are in the dark so that when there's a black... When the scene is just completely black and you just hear a voiceover, I want that impression that the audience is there in that person's mind in the dark. But when you're watching it on your phone... It's not the same. And when you're in the bathroom watching mm-hmm. it, it's like, it, that doesn't, that's not cinema. No. So that's, yeah. I, I'm also going to give our, our listening public a bit of a scoop. Lester Alfonso is also frequently known as L.A., and he works with the Reframe Film Festival, and he's responsible for all the technical aspects uh, of the festival itself. And I think that he brings that artist's eye to that. He really cares about what the film looks like when it's being screened and when the lights go up and when the lights go down and whether we see the credits or not. And as an old film festival organizer, that really means a lot to me and, and the social social media. So um, like many artists, he... Um, you know, makes a living making his work and he does other things. He plays the ukulele and and if people ever want to look up the one and only artwork I ever made, it's called my Johnny Lester. What's it called? Bring uh, him back. Bring him back. Bring him back. And Lester, we'll just leave it at Lester did the soundtrack for that. <laughs> um, Alicia, if we can if we can come back to you again, I'm going to remind people that they're listening to the Electric City Culture Cast on Trent Radio at 92.7 FM. We're talking with Alicia Rubacha and Lester Alfonso as part of our I Am an Artist series. Um, you mentioned Justin Million, mm-hmm. who I guess I know is your partner <laughs> in life as well as in art on yep. many occasions, and the series Keyboards. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what that project has meant to literary arts in Peterborough? Sure. So I'll just describe it first. Keyboards is a live writing event where Justin Million writes on a typewriter. He writes poems on a typewriter, then dings a bell and stands up and reads them. And it's actually now over. He did his last event just a little while ago, a couple months ago now, I think. And But it was great. It was a wonderful way of kind of bringing poetry to people who might not otherwise see poetry read um, because it would generally be it was hosted at the garnet and a lot of the audience were just people who were 
go into the Garnet for a drink. They weren't necessarily there to see poetry. And it was kind of interesting the way in which that audience actually shaped the work because Justin, it almost became like a comedy act in some ways because he knew that he had to kind of hit that punchline to get a reaction from that kind of audience. Um, so that was really great. And it was nice to just see kind of live writing happening. It's also come into the press through doing some books that were live made um, at events. So we had we did two this way with Justin. Uh, one was called Duel, and that was with Justin and Jeff Blackman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another called Beyond Repair, which you, I'm sure, know as a Peterborough <laughs> reference <That's right. laughs> to Dan McWilliams and That's right. his statements about the pig's ear. And so those both included unique poems written live at the event and then built into the book right in front of you. Um, so that was kind of the way that keyboards so got tied into my practice. Spot, creation and as we used to say at the Canada Council, dissemination. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And one of the, my favorite facts about the um, Beyond Repair book, or wait, was it Beyond Repair? Yeah, Beyond Repair, um, was that we actually, we only produced, I think, five copies, and they were all sold before they were even made. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So that kind of leads me to my next question. I mean, I know that you came to, tr- to Peterborough in part to go to Trent, mm-hmm. but you decided to stay here and make a living and a life for yourself as an artist here. Why Peterborough? Well, I did try and escape mm-hmm. after graduating. I went to Montreal for a couple of months, just a summer basically, and then got pulled right back into the vortex, as many do. And now I wouldn't prefer to be anywhere else. Peterborough is definitely my home now. So what do you mean pulled back into the vortex? Oh, you haven't heard about the vortex, no. the Peterborough vortex? It's, it wouldn't surprise me yeah, to know such I'll, a thing exists. It does. There, I, I don't know if it's like ley lines or what it is, <laughs> but, but there's something that brings people back to Peterborough. Mm-hmm. You try and get away and you just get sucked back. Sucked back in. Yeah. I, I actually am a victim of it myself. Yeah. I left for 12 years and here I yeah, am back again. You come again. right back. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful place. I mean, it has its problems and like... I know kind of better than a lot of people the problems that Peterborough has working in social justice, working at Nourish. I know about the food insecurity rates and the housing problems and, you know, it goes on and on. But it's still, there's still something magical about Peterborough. There is another Peterborough, if we can make that Electric City Magazine reference. (laughs) And that other Peterborough includes places like the Garnet that, you know, welcome local artists. For sure. Do they pay? Do they pay people? Uh, they let us put out an art jar at the okay. Garnet. Yeah, so we can collect some money if we want to. Um, Justin doesn't always do it. Oddly, he mm-hmm. sometimes puts it out, sometimes doesn't. I don't know why. He pays artists out of pocket constantly, um, which is crazy. He's applying for funding this year. It's finally happening. Excellent. <laughs> I know that you know one of the reasons we work so hard to keep Art Suite going is that at the moment the only. Um, way for individual artists to get money at the municipal yeah. level. So the city gives the EC3 funding for Arts Week, and then we are able to commission work from artists. Which is great. We need to pay artists directly. Yeah, and I, and that's a, a, certainly a, a goal that the Electric City Culture Council has, is to see grants to individual artists at the municipal level. There's just so much academic research and Stats Canada research to show that in cities um, where artists can get funding at the municipal, the provincial, and the federal mm-hmm. level, they do better their work does better it gets more distribution it gets a higher profile and they're not struggling in such a precarious way which has a huge impact on creativity Mm -hmm. when you know you don't know if you're going to be able to pay your rent next month one of the things i do at work is fight for a basic income we've been trying Mm -hmm. to promote that idea for a really long time and i think like almost nobody could benefit more from that than artists so i'd really like to see kind of more artists stand up and say that's what they want 
I know that you made reference to the Nourish Project. You're the knowledge transfer um, specialist, yes. specialist yes. at um, <laughs> Nourish, a local community food initiative. But I think it's really important and interesting for people to know that you've done so much research overall on what makes a he- healthy and vital community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about the Nourish Project is that it always sees the arts as part of a healthy yeah, community. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to, you you may wonder why we pause a little bit. These guys are sharing a, a set of <laughs> headphones because we're, we're in the frugal and yet lovely facilities of Trent Radio where we share everything, including our headphones. Lester, I was, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit to our listeners about the relationship between your documentary work and your fiction work because not all artists, not all media arts folks do that some people really stick in their niche what inspired you to to move into well fiction? birthmark birthmark is a creative non-fiction piece i'm 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 kind of, I'm kind of want to relabel documentary because documentary it's just one label that, that there's so many different kinds of documentary mm-hmm. so it's so it's so um confusing um some are personal essays some are more of a scientific essay so in in my work you know i mean i think I think I'm going to answer one of your questions that you didn't ask me, which is like, okay. how did I become an artist? Because I, I heard Alicia's answer, and I think I, I started thinking about it, and I, you know, I, I've never said this before. So this is this is this is great exclusive uh, right here in this podcast. Um, Trent Radio exclusive coming up, Lester. Okay, how I became an artist, or how I realized I was an artist. One day I was in Europe. I had I I I lived in Prague for a little bit, and I was doing my laundry. And I was in my 20s, and I was hanging it up on a clothesline inside my apartment. And I realized I was hanging it up artfully. And then you when cared I, what it looked I like. cared what it looked like. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm a placement artist. I'm a positioning artist in a way that a poet, you know, positions words one after another and image after one after another. It's... It, it, I started thinking that my my practice was really placement, um, creative placement. Um, And so right now I'm working in film. So fiction-wise, not a lot of fiction in my my oeuvre. I want to get into it. I want to get into screenwriting, and I have a few uh, different screenwriting ideas that I want to get into. So I am transitioning from more of a... So you're you're blurring the edges of those genres a bit in that one piece. Yeah, yeah. in Birthmark in particular, there's there's a lot of almost self-conscious acting that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, or or is it real? Is it me? Is it a character? I kind of like to blur those lines, um, and because it's it's blurry in real life anyway. So. And speaking of real life, how did you come to be in Peterborough? I was living up north, Lake St. Peter, a small little hamlet, and. We would come down to Peterborough because it's the the biggest city uh, closest to Lake St. Peter. And we would often do the city stuff like get good coffee and go to the the movie Mm -hmm. theater. And one of the good coffee places we went to was Dreams of Beans. At the time, it was Dreams and Beans. We went to get coffee there, and there was a little poster that says, Peterborough Arts Umbrella Optic Nerve Film Festival, submit your film. And I thought, maybe I'll submit my film here. Not only did... Did Peterborough Arts Umbrella 
accept my film, but they also gave me the award for best movie maker of the year. Doesn't get better than that. And then they also, uh, someone, I met someone that, from my past here in Peterborough, from my York University past, and he gave me a job. So I ended up just, every time I'd threaten to leave, I'd get a job. So in a way, that's the magnet that keeps coming coming back. There's always, I'm always so busy. Next for me, I'm doing the the party for Public Energy's 25th anniversary. So I'm going to do a video presentation that's going to knock your socks off for that one. Fantastic. Well, I remember well the 10th anniversary when it was fabulous. And that's coming up May uh, 25th. I just happen to know because Bill Kimball is the chair of the EC3 board. Uh, Public Energy, our extraordinary dance presentation organization, absolutely world-class dance right here in Peterborough. We only have two minutes left in the show, folks. So I'm just... you've told us your next project so I'm going to ask Alicia that was my final question what's coming up next for you so the project that I'm working on that was just funded through OAC um, is my Roberta Bondar poetry collection Um, so that's essentially brings together sort of my childhood and my love of Roberta Bondar into one collection Um, she it's called the light sucking darkness of space which is something I heard her say at a talk a few Novembers ago now, um, and it just kind of blew my mind. As soon as I heard her say the light-sucking darkness of space, I was like, that's a poetry collection, <laughs> and I knew exactly how I wanted to write it, and it all just came together, because space means so many different things mm-hmm. to me. Like, So I combine kind of the rural space that I grew up in with outer space and kind of contrast those things. And so that's the upcoming project. So ideally, that will be my first trade book, if all goes as planned. Fingers crossed. Listen, I have to say, when I hear the two of you talk, it makes me remember again why I got involved in the arts in the first place. Just, it never ceases to amaze me that artists care about how their laundry Uh hangs and that (laughs) listening to a topic or a line from Roberta Bondar will inspire ideas about space. These are two of our best and brightest um, listeners. Thank you both for being here in the studio and um, opening the doors for us on how an artist works in Peterborough. And thanks to everybody for listening to the Electric City Culture Cast. We'll be back again in two weeks. Take care. Bye.